Welcome to Alumni Conversations. What you're about to hear is a Facebook Live conversation that took place between members of our Laterno community and our alumni. These bi-weekly conversations dive into stories from our time as students at Laterno University and the years that followed. Originally founded by R.G. and Evelyn Laterno in the mid-1940s, Laterno University is a comprehensive institution of Christian higher education, where educators engage learners to nurture Christian virtue, to develop competency and ingenuity in the professional fields, to integrate faith and work, and to serve the local and global community. We claim every workplace and every nation is our mission field, and so Laterno University graduates are professionals of ingenuity and Christ-like character. They see life's work as a holy calling with an eternal impact. Welcome to Alumni Conversations. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to this Alumni Conversation. It's so fun to, to be here today to get to talk with some of our alumni. Really excited for those of you who are joining us today. This is a glimpse into a world so few of us get to experience. And it's just kind of fun to have a conversation about the president that's not about the election this week. So we continue to lift up our nation and continue to pray for God's will there and for truth. Um, but today we can take a break and we get to hear about planes and especially presidential planes. So my name is Daniel Ostendorf. I serve as our Director of Alumni Engagement here at Laterno University. All that means is that I get to spend my days engaging with over 25,000 alumni around the world, hearing their stories, sharing their stories, and encouraging them and reconnecting them with one another and with this university that has had such a profound impact on so many of us and God's used in huge ways. So, well, today's alumni conversation is focused actually around that story of how two alumni went from here to serve in the Air Force to, onto Andrews Air Force Base, and we're serving our presidents in the not too recent or not too distant past. But before we do that, I want to introduce my co-host today. I get to work with some of the most amazing people in the world, and oftentimes I also get to call them friends. And one of those is David Tester. David Tester is an assistant professor of applied aviation science in our aviation program. David is also a 1995 graduate of Laterno University. One of the things we love to see is when our alumni say, hey, I wanna come back and I wanna serve and I wanna pour in and teach. And David does that. For those of you who have had him in class um, or gotten to know him in small groups and in chapel, you know that David not only has a love for aviation maintenance, but a love for students and a love for the Lord. So it's my privilege to get to bring him in with us. So I'm gonna welcome David in. Hey, David, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, Daniel, thanks. Really appreciate you taking the time. We know you're near the end of the semester, so this is especially a sacrifice with finals just a couple weeks away, uh, but looking forward to the day. Yes, me too. Thank you. Oh, I forgot to mention, you are the dad of five. So not only are you busy at work, you're also really busy at home too. Yeah, always. David, tell us a little bit about your background. I know your background is in aviation maintenance. So before, after you left Laterno, before you came back to Laterno, what happened in that in-between period? Um, I actually got to work on airplanes, um, small airplanes, large airplanes, uh, work in repair stations, work in contract maintenance. Uh, I got to, I actually flew with uh, George Bush's campaign a couple wow. times um, as a charter mechanic, which was actually really cool. Um, kind of the tie-in to that. Um, flew with the U.S. Marshals for a little bit, did some, you know, just some fun experiences, but overall just working on almost everything over the last 20 plus years. So give me a quick sort of perspective as a non-aviation guy, how in the world do you get into a position where you get to be the onboard mechanic for President Bush and um, has the opportunity to kind of even come up? Well, it was a contract that, that just our company had available airplanes and 
they called me and said, hey, you know, we need somebody to go on this flight. And I was available and okay, go for it. So did you know when you said yes, that that's who the flight was for? You kind of show up and you're like, oh, hey, this isn't just your average everyday passenger. No, I knew what that one was for. The The funny thing was it was supposed to be for a couple of days and I ended up being gone for over a month. Wow. Doing, oh my goodness. Um, prison transport and immigrants and basketball wow. teams and all kinds of weird stuff. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, I, I packed for a couple of days and I was gone for a month. So, wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. So give us a quick glimpse before we introduce our guests. What brought you back to Letourneau? How did that sort of transition happen and why? Um, I kind of refer to it as God has a great sense of humor. Um, this was never on my, on my radar. Um, I, God and I had had a lot of conversations about what I was going to do and what I wasn't going to do. And this was one of the, what I wasn't going to do. And, uh, so I just kept putting it in the back of my mind and saying, you know, you need to pursue this and you need to think about this. And you remember how people influenced you when you were a student, you need to be doing the same thing. And that's why I'm here. It's awesome. Well, you, I know you never cheat your own horn, but having talked to students and having students in my class, God is using you in awesome ways to encourage our students. So thanks for doing that. Um, I have a, so I grew up as a missionary kid in East Africa for 16 years. And my mom told the Lord, Lord, you can send me anywhere in the, the world as a missionary except to Africa. So God certainly has a sense of humor um, and just a way of sort of teaching us to trust him despite. Yeah. So, well, that's awesome. Well, let me go ahead and introduce, we'll introduce our guest for today. Uh, so our first guest is Todd DeGroot. Todd DeGroot is a 86 aviation technology graduate here uh, from Laterna University. While here, he met his wife, Tiffany, um, whose maiden name was Meyer. And Tiffany graduated the year after that. So actually, as you can imagine, you've graduated and you have a girlfriend slash fiance around. So you stick around. So Todd stuck around for a couple of years and served as a flight instructor in our aviation program. After that, he did join the United States Air Force. He served in the Air Force for 23 years from 1986 to 2012, where he retired as a lieutenant, lieutenant colonel. During his time there, he flew everything from small planes to large planes. And in particular, he had a um, stint at Air, Andrews Air Force Base and flew Air Force Two. So we'll get to hear a little bit about that today. Well, following his retirement from the Air Force, he then joined FedEx in 2013 to where he still serves to this day as a fleet technical pilot. He actually will be in the air later today and is joining us from Memphis. So we're gonna bring Todd in. Hey, Todd, welcome. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's been my pleasure. My pleasure. So Todd, let's see, you've got three, you've got seven children and three grandchildren. So life yeah. is busy and full. It is. <laughs> now, do I remember you've had a couple of kids actually attend Letourneau? Yeah, I had uh, two of them graduate from Letourneau and uh, the third went there for two years. And my son-in-law went through the uh, aviation technology uh, oh, wow. program initially and then ended up as an air traffic controller. Okay. And uh, I actually introduced him to my daughter when I was dropping her off at Letourneau. <laughs> well, there you go. So, so you guys I, had, yeah. oh, go ahead. I, I, I only have myself to blame. <laughs> Fair enough. And you guys, from the very beginning, you had the aviation technology at Letourneau kind of common bond and connection. Yep, absolutely. So what's your son-in-law, what are your son-in-law and daughter doing now? The, uh, so they live up in Indianapolis. Uh, okay. He's an air, he's a controller up there, uh, works the high sector on the east side of the Indy Center, uh, okay. butted up there against um, Washington, D.C. And, uh, well, I hope to talk to him today because he's uh, he's controlling the area. I'm going to Huntington, West Virginia and uh, oh, wow. up to Rickenbacker and then back home. So okay. I may get to talk to him. I don't know. That'd be fun. Awesome. Yep. Well, hope it's a great flight for you today, but that's what a cool connection that you get to hear his voice over the radio every now and then. So, um, okay, well, let me go ahead and introduce our, our 
second guest then today. Our second guest is Imi Mark. Imi Mark was here and graduated in 2000. After his time here, he then went on to serve in the Air Force as well. He served in the Air Force from 2001 to 2000. 14 or 15. I may be sorry about that, Amy. Uh, from there, they went on into missions work and they've just finished up a four year stint in Papua New Guinea with Ethnos 360. Mm -hmm. So, Amy, you're now back at Laterno. How in the world did you end up back here? Well, uh, kind of like David, <laughs> it was uh, much to my surprise. <laughs> I think when I graduated, uh, not only did I think I would probably never want to come back uh, any place and be a teacher, um, I, I thought uh, the university probably would never accept me back. So um, there is grace and uh, people do grow and change. And uh, the Lord uh, just connected us uh, three years ago. I was traveling through uh, um, after a, a meeting, I'd come back from Papua New Guinea for a, a leadership meeting here in the US with our at our headquarters. Um, and they had just been talking about ways that they could um, get folks uh, from the field uh, engaged with students around the country in aviation programs. And we have some full-time staff that uh, are on the, the Moody Aviation um, uh, team uh, up, in, up in Spokane, uh, but they were looking at what, what could we do in other areas. And so uh, Mr. Fortier uh, and I had a conversation uh, back in 2017 that led to uh, the opportunity this year uh, for me to be here as an adjunct uh, faculty member. Okay. Awesome. Well, we're really excited that that's worked out to have you back, to have you get to share your experience with our students. And, um, and so thanks for being an adjunct instructor this semester. Uh, yeah. I'm glad to have you guys around town. So let's do this before uh, we jump into our conversation. For those of you who are watching and joining us live, I want to encourage you and invite you to, to ask questions throughout our conversation in the comments below. We'll actually get to see those on our side of things. Uh, and I'd be happy to, to then pitch those to Todd and I as well. So to kick us off, Todd and I I'd love to hear kind of what was your journey? And you know, we know where we're headed in this conversation. We want to hear about your time serving with Air Force One and Air Force Two. So kind of take us on the journey to that. How did you end up at Air Force, uh, Andrews Air Force Base? And what was that story? Todd, we'll kick it to you first. Okay. Yeah. So after a couple of years of instructing at Laterno, uh, my wife and I decided that the Air Force uh, would be a great option. Uh, so after pilot training, I flew KC-10s, which is a uh, McDonnell Douglas DC-10 uh, wide body airplane. Um, for about 10 years, and in between uh, that, I also spent three years as a T-37 instructor at uh, pilot training, and then later uh, went to the T-6 as an as a instructor pilot in pilot training as well. Um, and then following that, uh, my last eight and a half years, I ended up uh, interviewing and getting accepted up at Andrews Air Force Base. So um, they, uh, Andrews will interview um guys with, uh, you know, heavy backgrounds. So a tanker okay. and cargo airplanes. Um, okay. and, uh, yeah, so, and I, we have, um, four different types of airplanes up there. Um, actually a few more, but the, the actual wing that, uh, I mean, I were part of had the 747s, the uh, 757s, we had 737s and a fleet of Gulf streams as well. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. Let's start at the beginning of that story. Did your time here as a flight instructor actually kind of end up opening the door for you to go um, to Andrews because you'd done so much flight training? And it sounds like you did flight training mostly with the Air Force. Yeah. No, I mean, um, I'll tell you my flight training at, Letur at Letourneau. Um, well, before my flight training, my training at Letourneau and then the instructing afterwards really um, helped me to do well at UPT. So I got my number one choice out of there. Wow. And, um chose to go to the KC-10, and that is okay. a fantastic lead-in up to uh, go to Andrews. Okay. Uh, so again, it's you develop contacts. Um, there was probably, 
a dozen KC-10 pilots up in the unit uh, okay. when I even got there. So, yeah, I had good connections in there. But no, so I was it, oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I really didn't have uh, any point in my career until I actually went up, you know, the, the year I decided to go up and interview. I never really pictured myself at Andrews. Um, okay, okay. So this was not, Lord, that's where I want to be, and I'm going to figure no. out the strategic. It was just there's an opportunity in front of me. That seems like a good opportunity. I could do that, and I could serve in that way, and you just pursued kind of the best opportunity in front of you. Yeah. In fact, there okay. was two other jobs I was trying to get at the same time, um, and uh, inter uh, they just, those doors never really opened. Mm. Um, so I've told a lot of students this. I'm a huge proponent of knocking on as many doors as you can. And the one that stays open or opens up for you is perfect. And mm. uh, even when I went up to Andrews, um, <laughs> the, the truth is I didn't ask for the 757. Um, I actually <laughs> asked to go fly the Gulf Streams. But again, oh, wow. yeah, so um, again, I was asked if I, if I would fly the 75. I said, absolutely. And you know, now looking back, it's, it, yeah, you couldn't have planned a better, more fun career. That's awesome. Well, one last question, and then we'll go on to IMA's story. So I never knew there were Gulf Streams within that fleet. So if the, if the president's on a Gulf Stream or the vice president, I mean, does it automatically get renamed Air Force One and Air Force Two, even if it's a completely yeah. different plane? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. That call sign came into existence when they had a very uh, near midair with the president on board. And, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, so as, as when you're flying, you uh, pick up a lot of information, you know, by listening to the radio and, and so forth. So when you hear a call sign, those things help you. Um, the same thing with a controller. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's when they decided that it was time to, to go ahead and, and come up with Air Force One, Air Force Two call sign. And the only other call sign that was special was when we had the first lady on board uh, by, okay. her, by herself. And that, that call sign's in Executive One Foxtrot. And then after that, the rest of the airplane... Uh, the rest of the missions are all uh, flown under a SAM call sign, and SAM stands yeah. for Special Air Mission. So okay. if you ever hear a SAM, you know, one, two, three, four, that's a that's an Andrews Bird. That's an Andrews Bird, but yeah. it's not First Lady or the President or sort of his that's executive. Correct. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks, Todd. Um, so thanks for sharing that. And I guess the last thing I want to follow up on is, I mean, I just, I love that advice you had there. Like, pursue doors, pursue as many open doors as you can. I think sometimes we're guilty of sitting around and saying, okay, well, if God wants me to do it, he's going to open the door and kind of kick me through it. And I think yeah. sometimes our best advice is pursue opportunities and let him close doors. Yeah. Go, go with the, go with someone who can see eternity past and eternity future. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Good, way to, good, good plan. Amen. Okay. I mean, tell us your story. How'd you end up moving from Letourneau and getting onto Andrews Air Force Base eventually? Sure. Uh, when I graduated Letourneau, uh, I graduated with a flight emphasis, and that was my intent was to be the world's greatest uh, fighter <laughs> pilot. <laughs> and uh, but that didn't work out at all. I, I ended up uh, really not flying at all after I left uh, Letourneau. I, I wasn't able to pass my flight medical for the Air Force um, for some vision issues that had never uh, cropped up on my FAA uh, oh, exams, but did in a, in a different way on the, the military flight exam. And uh, so I, I worked for a number of years to line up uh, being my officer commissioning and uh, entry into the undergraduate uh, pilot training program. And uh, as I was driving back from the hospital, I was thinking, well, what am I going to do now? And uh, the Lord kind of hit me on the head and said, well, you know, you spent uh, couple of years at Letourneau, not just flying airplanes, but learning to fix airplanes too. And would you, would you do that for me? And uh, 
So I called the uh, enlisted recruiter and uh, about two weeks later, I was at basic training. Uh, and uh, after Air Force basic training, I had ended up uh, beginning my service as a helicopter mechanic uh, on, the, on the Air Force's Black Hawk helicopter. It's a Pavehawk. Um, but doing combat search and rescue is a real rewarding mission. Wow. Um, but uh, that was right around the time of 9-11. And uh, after a couple of years of stopping uh, our career field from, from getting out of the service so they could build up numbers to deploy us, they realized they had too many of us. Um, and so I wasn't able to continue in that career field because um, I was a, a surplus. Um, and so the Lord opened the door for me to transition to be what the Air Force calls a maintenance officer. Um, it's uh, but basically a, a director of, of aircraft maintenance. Um, and so I, I finished uh, the last nine years uh, of my time in the military as a, as a maintenance officer. Um, so we went to uh, out to Arizona for a while and enjoyed uh, Phoenix uh, okay. and uh, where I got to manage uh, some F-16 uh, units. Um, and then we made our way to Washington, D.C. Uh, as a member of the Air National Guard's um, program management. Uh, basically, it's their, their Pentagon function. Um, I, was, uh, I was kind of uh, assigned uh, under the Air National Guard, and that's how we made it our way to D.C. And while we were there, uh, reconnected with some friends uh, that I had known in high school, um, got involved in a Bible study with them, and it turned out that um, the one of the Bible study members uh, was the uh, working for the Presidential Logistics Service, and when his time there was up, they were looking for a replacement. And so I, I got a call at work one day asking if I'd be interested to interview, and uh, I just laughed. I, I really thought he was joking, <laughs> and uh, that had never been on my radar. I'd never worked on anything bigger than an F-16. Uh, obviously, the president's plane is just a, a tad uh, larger, and I, I thought maybe he was uh, calling to ask me to interview just so they had enough people to kind of check the boxes and they already knew probably who they wanted to really hire. Um, but through a, a series of events, uh, the Lord opened that door surprisingly uh, to me and it was a real privilege to serve there. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay, so, I mean, it sounds like actually early on there was some significant disappointment. I mean, you wanted to be a, a pilot, you were hoping to be a fire pilot, you never saw this curveball come in and all of a sudden that door closes. Um, where, I mean, without wanting to press too much, I mean, how did you see God's faithfulness through that disappointment and kind of continuing on? Sure. I, I think that's one of the, the big things uh, in my time here at Laterno is the Lord really grounded me okay. um, in my faith and, and grew me. Um, I came in not not really, I guess, I realized he, while in my time here that I, I, I really didn't trust the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, I, I much like uh, your, you said your, your mom had prayed that uh, she'd go any place but Africa. That was actually my prayer too when the Lord had kind of uh, confronted me with, hey, would you use these aviation skills and your love for aviation to serve me overseas? Um, my, my fear was I was going to go to Africa and I didn't know anything about Africa. <laughs> um, so I ended up in Papua New Guinea. I didn't go to Africa. But, um, um, yeah, I, I think just as the Lord brought me through that, I, I mean, I, just, I learned that I, I could trust him, not only looking back in my own life at all the ways he's he's been faithful, um, but just looking at his word. And as we got to study that here together as, as instructors and particularly some of my aviation instructors and the devotions that they gave, um, some of them uh, who I get to work with now as co-workers um, had come off the mission field and just hearing God's uh, testimony of, of faithfulness in their lives. Um, it really encouraged me. And so when I met those challenges, um, one, it was a growing opportunity for me, just realizing that 
I think in small ways I continued and, and even now I continue over the years to try to create my, uh, if you will, my, my way that I'm going to serve God and, and, I, and then tell him what it needs to look like. And okay, here, God, here's what it's going to look like. And I just need you to bless it. Right. <laughs> Instead of saying, God, really, man, I'm coming to you open-handed. You know me better than anything. And you know what needs to be done and where I can fit uh, in your plan best. And just please open the door and, and show me which way to go. And so uh, there's been a couple of things like that. Yeah. Uh, when I couldn't fly, uh, when I couldn't continue to maintain aircraft and instead I was sitting behind a desk typing emails about other people maintaining aircraft or mm-hmm. um, then when I went to the, the the job at the Pentagon and I wasn't even really engaged in aircraft maintenance <laughs> anymore. I just seemed I was getting further and further away from what I, I loved. Um, and yet all of those skills, uh, when I um, had the, the opportunity to interview with Ethnos 360, um, at the time that, that I was interviewing, they needed folks that had had all of those experiences. Oh, wow. These are things that I had uh, dreaded or I dug my heels in and said, Lord, I just don't see how you could ever use this um, mm-hmm. to serve your kingdom purposes in mission aviation. All of those skills and experiences uh, in the end were a- absolutely critical um, and, and needed in the area that, that uh, I'm now serving in. That's awesome. You know, it seems it seems like it's a cliche that we often hear. God doesn't waste anything. But what a great like, I mean, what a great encouragement that God really doesn't waste anything. Um, okay, well, I got a couple of shout outs. Um, let's see, uh, Todd, Bill Fossbender, class of '86, wanted to shout out and say hi. And hey. um, Janice Noon is watching and joining us today. So appreciate you guys being with us again. Just to remind if you got any questions for Ime or um, Todd, feel free to ask them. David, I'm going to kick this next section about their time at Andrews and serving as uh, head of maintenance and pilot to you because I actually don't know what questions to ask about. So, <laughs> so you seem a more appropriate one to lead that conversation. Well, I'm just, I want to start with Todd and, um, you know, why the Gulfstream over the 7.5? And then I want to go from there. What's your favorite airplane to fly? Oh, okay. Well, in your uh, career, the reason Gulfstream was, uh, the the seven five at Andrews was known uh, for being quite the haze program, uh, so the first six months is uh, not too pleasant. The Gulf Streams, yeah, I mean we had uh, at the time we had fours, fives, and we ended up getting five fifties. Um, just a just an incredibly beautiful airplane. But that squadron was known to to really um, fly fly a little bit more, um, and uh, so I just thought that would that would be great. Uh, I also thought maybe. After the after the uh, military, it would give me uh, a broader skill set. Uh, since I had a DC-10 type rating, I didn't really need that to fight if I ended up in the airline industry. Um, you know, I didn't need another a big airplane. So, but anyway, yeah. And then uh, as far as airplanes, yeah, I think, uh, I, you know, you always go with your first love. And uh, the KC-10 was just an incredibly uh, great airplane to fly. It been super fun mission. Um, we got to refuel as a tanker, uh, as a receiver. We flew all over the world, um, you know, 28, 29 years old uh, by myself, uh, running a crew of, you know, six to eight guys and uh, just having fun. Uh, 7.5 is also, they, similar, they fly very similarly. So um, a lightweight 7.5 like I'll be flying today is uh, hoot as well. So. But uh, two two fantastic airplanes, and it's just convenient that you went from a seven five to a seven five, right? Yeah, yeah. That well, and see again, Providence, um, because of my background, uh, I've been flying. I've been flying in seven five since '04. Uh, so, uh, FedEx did not get them start getting them online until about seven oh seven oh eight. 
So, you know, um, I've had a lot, I have a lot of experience as far as, um, you know, the company goes, particularly when I got here. And that led into my some of the opportunities that came my way as far as, you know, being on the technical side of things, uh, acting as a, you know, subject, uh, subject matter expert and so forth. So that's yeah, just, uh, yeah, you, you can't plan these things. <laughs> I want to ask you one more question that's not necessarily related to that, but I get a lot of students that are trying to figure out career and I get the comment, I just want to be a pilot. And your degree, my degree, IME's degree is all pilot and maintenance. How has that helped you? How has that benefited you over the last few years? Oh, yeah. The maintenance background is, is uh, it helps every day. Um, I think you have a, a better rapport uh, with mechanics. Um, you know, I work with guys in the Air Force, and once they found out that I had my AMP, they were like, you know, you just had this natural connection. I think you were... You know, I was able to, to talk more intelligently, uh, give better uh, write-ups for these guys to work uh, work on the issues. Um, and then, um, yeah, again, it's led to uh, opportunities, again, like uh, like I'm in my current job. Uh, you don't have to have an A&P, but, oh, I tell you what, having a lot of understanding about maintenance stuff um, helps. And, you know, I would be really uh, cautious about turning a wrench on my airplane or somebody else's. Um, you know, I, I feel like I, I'm educated enough to, to know how scary I am, but at least you can talk intelligently and you can read uh, and, and understand things a little bit better. So um, on the aviation committee uh, steering, uh, not the steering, but the advisory committee, I was always standing on the table, you know, saying, why don't we make everybody get an A&P? But uh Anyway, times change, but I mean, I think it's a fantastic, fantastic uh, compliment to any, any flying training that you can get. Well, I'm still standing on that table, so <laughs> fantastic. it's constant. Keep it up. Um, Amy, we were uh, actually talking a little bit before this, and Amy was telling me a little bit of a story about uh, parts and uh, getting parts for the 7-4s. Do <laughs> you want to share a little bit of what you were telling me? Kind of some of the challenges. Sure. sure. I think one of the one of the downfalls of the incredible job that the maintenance teams do there in the 89th uh, Air Wing um, is that the, those airplanes look so immaculate <laughs> um, that folks can't imagine that they would ever have anything go wrong with them um, or that they'd ever need to be replaced. Um, but the truth is, there there's some older airplanes, um, and especially the two 747s that serve the president um, are were introduced back in the 90s. Uh, they're 747-200 models, uh, which uh, there's not many of those flying or any of those really that we could find flying uh, passenger services in the first world country today. Uh, so uh, you asked about the parts. Yeah, we had some some things like uh, nose wheel steering gearboxes um, that needed to be replaced. And uh, as much as folks would, would like to see a, a, a new president uh, get rid of the uh, Air Force One replacement, it really is needed because uh, we ended up needing to go find a gentleman who had the foresight uh, to buy several of those model aircraft and park them out in a, in a desert um, and uh, then uh, make his services available to us at, at a nice price. Uh, for <laughs> Otherwise, uh, his couple of aircraft out there that had uh, similar um, uh, models, dash numbers to, to ours, and, and we could get some parts off and pieces off of those. But um, it, it is kind of funny to, to think that you'd imagine that the presidential service would have uh, everything at their disposal that they could ever need 
um, and yet it's uh, it, it's still a challenge uh, to maintain those those old aircraft and the folks there. It's a testament to their uh, their skill and, and ability and ingenuity uh, to keep those going and, and make it uh, flawless uh, in its appearance to the public. And I'm, I kind of have talked to you before, but how does transitioning from the Air Force to the mission field, how, you know, comfort-wise and all that, what was that like? Yeah, it was a big, it was a big transition. Uh, it was a big transition just for us as a family. I think, as I would mentioned, uh, when we started, we had kind of envisioned uh, probably retiring from the military, uh, having that paycheck uh, coming in every month to, to rely on and the benefits that go along with that. Um, and so uh, getting out of the service, the military service uh, before retirement and uh, sacrificing those benefits uh, was a bit of a challenge just in the, in the comfort area. And yet, as we faced that, uh, one of the, the, the passages that I was reading at the, at the time that uh, the Lord opened up that door uh, was, was Jesus walking by the seashore and calling uh, the, some of the disciples to him to, saying, hey, throw, throw down your nets and, and come be fishers of men. And uh, as much as I heard from uh, folks that I, I love and respect, um, uh, folks uh, in, in our supporting church or our sending church, uh, there's several gentlemen said, I mean, you're, you're an idiot. <laughs> um, and yet I said, well, what, what would have happened to those disciples who said, man, Jesus, we just bought this boat with our dad. If you just give us like six more years, we'll have it paid off. We'll be in a really good spot and we'll do whatever you want us to do. Uh, and the fact of the matter is Jesus only lived three more years before he was crucified, uh, died and went back to heaven. So they would have missed out on everything that, that he had for them. And so we realized as a family that it was the time, uh, even though it wasn't what we'd envisioned, that the Lord was calling us away and uh, that he was just asking us to be faithful. Um, and, and taking one step at a time uh, and trusting him that he would he would care for us. And man, has has he ever. Um, it's just been an incredible journey. Um, but yeah, so it was um, comfort-wise, it wasn't necessarily comfortable, uh, I guess, in one sense. And yet there's a great sense of comfort and peace in being able to, to trust the Lord um, when even when you can't see uh, what the next step holds for you. Well, guys, our time is coming to a close, um, and I actually am going to stretch us just a little bit farther. I hope this doesn't, if you got to go, I understand, but I would love to hear from each of you just one memory from your time serving on Andrews that as you look back, it's just, that's the memory that stands out. Um, maybe it's with a, a crewmate, maybe it's an experience with um, an official, I don't know what it might be, but is there some memory that just kind of jumps out to you as you think back on that time the Lord gave you um, serving in that way? Hmm. <laughs> Sorry, kind of put you on the spot there. No, that's okay. You can go ahead, Todd. Yeah. Um, I don't know. One of the probably the funnest memories I've ever had uh, flying-wise is uh, a good friend of mine and I, uh, another pilot um, at, uh, in, the, in the unit, where I had the opportunity to take Laura Bush out to Midway Island, and they were, they were signing mm -hmm. a big uh, um, deal where they include the uh, – uh, a lot of the Pacific Ocean in, in a uh, conservation effort. Um, but uh, we, we got to go out there, land in the, at night, uh, uh, doing an NDB approach, uh, and join 1.2 million birds on the island. So uh, the landing was one thing. Uh, a couple nights later when we took off, um, that was even more interesting because, again, the, the birds hadn't moved. So. We were happy to climb past 5,000 feet and hit Hawaii when we started without, with both engines running. 
<laughs> wow. So, oh my goodness. Yeah, fun. yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, what about you? Anything jump out from your time there? Uh, if I had to pick one thing just off the top of my head, I think uh, my my biggest moment would have been uh, just as I was uh, preparing to leave. Uh, there's there's two 747s that serve as as what we call Air Force One, um, and at any given time, one of those is usually in a heavy maintenance or paint or modification. Um, and so when it comes out of that, uh, we have a formal ceremony that the Presidential Logistics Squadron does uh, to present that that aircraft uh, to the president. Um, and kind of christen it as his primary aircraft. Um, so I uh, had the, the privilege of, of kind of leading our organization in that ceremony. And so oh, wow. it landed in uh, Marine One and was uh, escorted across and, and I uh, greeted him. And uh, I was introducing him to his new, uh, we call it a dedicated crew chief. So the, so the, the chief mechanic uh, for the airplane that would travel with it almost any, anywhere it went. And so they, he would see this mechanic a lot. Um, and so I introduced, you know, uh, President Obama. Uh, uh, this is Master Art Corey Collins. Um, this is his airplane, and <laughs> I didn't mean for it to come out that way, uh, but I realized uh, what I'd said, and I kind of paused awkwardly. And President Obama looked at me and just kind of cocked his head. He looked at Sergeant Collins and looked back at me, and then looked at Sergeant Collins and extended his hand and said, "Well." Sergeant Collins, I appreciate you letting me borrow your airplane. <laughs> so I, uh, I solved the, the dispute that I had uh, long had with, with the air crews. It was always the air crew maintenance and I thought you could, uh, you could uh, pitch in on this, but we always had the debate of, did the airplane de belong to the pilots or the mechanics? And so uh, I, I believe in 2014, May, uh, year of 2014 by presidential decree uh, <laughs> that question was we have from president obama that it <laughs> good decision totally uh, <laughs> well that's fantastic well hey that's a great note to end on todd and i thank you so much for being willing to take some of your time and, and share with us it's been great and encouraging to hear from you um, david thanks so much for joining me today as well appreciate all three of you being here today absolute thanks, pleasure thank you awesome. thanks guys we'll talk to you later well, uh, just a couple of announcements from our alumni office for you. Thanks so much for joining us, Jeannie, Jeannie Thompson. So glad to have you watching. And Andrew James, glad to have you watching as well. Um, really enjoy these conversations. So we've got some coming up here before the end of the year, and we've got more into next year. So if you have um, stories you want to share from your time as alumni, or you know of some alumni who would be willing to share, we're always looking for suggestions and people to connect with and stories to tell. We are so grateful for the story that Letourneau, that God has given Letourneau University over these nearly 75 years. But a huge part of that is our 25,000 alumni that he's brought through these doors and that he's using around the world. And so it's my great joy to get to work with our alumni around the world. And so to our alumni, I just want to send you greetings from our office. We are so excited this next year to begin a year-long celebration of Letourneau's history and God's faithfulness in our alumni. So I hope you make plans to join us next April for Homecoming and Family Weekend. We've got lots of exciting things planning including breaking news, we're going to be doing a car show at homecoming next year for the first time. So if you know any uh, Letourneau alumni who love their cars and would love to, to involve their car, have their car involved in car show, we'd love to have them on campus uh, for all of us to enjoy. So more information coming out there, visit uh, letu.edu slash homecoming uh, to find out more about that schedule, uh, to sign up for information and registration will open up in January for that. Well, I hope you do well. I hope you're doing well. May God bless you richly as you continue to faithfully follow him in your workplace and in your community and in your family. Until next time, take care and God bless.
This episode of Alumni Conversations has been brought to you by Laterna University's Alumni Relations Office, connecting over 25,000 alumni around the world. Find out more by visiting www.letu.edu forward slash alumni.